Welcome to What's Your Beef? What's Your Beef is proudly supported by Suncorp Bank, helping local producers through the ups and downs since 1902. Each week we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello, this is What's Your Beef and I'm Jane Cudahy. Melanie Leather is an organic cattle producer from Barfield Station at Central Queensland's Banana area. With her husband Rob, the pair epitomise hard work. For over 30 years they have built a thriving cattle business and hold true to their values of sustainable agriculture with strict biosecurity and animal welfare measures. It's through her work with the broader industry that Melanie has gained a strong understanding of what consumers are expecting from their food producers and has been awarded several times for her tireless efforts to improve understanding within her peers. But for someone so passionate about her industry, her story didn't start in the cattle yards. You know, I fell into the beef industry, I suppose, through marrying my husband, Robert. Um, We were married... Uh, 33 years ago and um, I guess that's where my journey started with the beef industry and really you know back then when you got married uh, to a farmer you basically had to give up your career and move to the bush and um, you know we didn't have telecommunications we couldn't do remote work from home that type of thing we just didn't have the technology to enable that so I then decided well my career was going to be in the beef industry I just wasn't going to be a farmer's wife I was going to make it my career and that's quite remarkable because you nursing was it nursing that you were doing dental nursing in at one of the hospitals so yeah so what was that transition like going from a dental nurse in a in a town to then this whole new career that you've just suddenly con- committed to well it was an interesting journey and I think the biggest shock for me was my um, first accommodation so um, my husband took me out to the property and said well this is where we're going to live when we get married and um, the house was about you know half a metre with grass seed on the floor and I went but there's all grass seed on the floor he goes yeah it's really great for drying grass seed this house but don't worry we'll sweep it all up bag it up and you know it'll be as good as new. Well, I hope you're not allergic to grass. You don't have allergies or anything. <laughs> I do now, so maybe I could blame him for that. Yeah. What were the first steps like? And I guess, you know, you guys have um, children as well, so they would have come along and, and, you know, they're fairly time-consuming on their own. Yeah, so I guess um, uh, I, I often have said that our, my life's been like a rodeo ride because we had three children in three years um, when we were first married so it was just a whirlwind and then um, you know my husband just goes at a very fast pace so I just had to try and keep up and got married had the three kids in three years which took up a lot of my time but I still you know tried to get out to the paddock to try and start learning as much as I could about the industry um, on the ground and then as time went on and I had you know the kids went off to school and whatever I could then start to really concentrate on the business side of it and that's when we started to grow our business I guess yeah one of the things that I admire most about you is the fact that you and Robert really did build your business uh, on your own and it, w- it certainly wasn't something that you know was handed to you so can you talk a 
little bit about some of the sacrifices and um, the way that you got into buying your first property? Yeah, well, I guess what, we were very lucky because Robert's parents were very helpful. And, and you know, I think that's um, always um, something that helps people establish a business. So um, the year we were married, we bought a property in partnership with them, which was certainly a really big help to us. And then they've gone on to help us quite a lot throughout our time. So I guess we've been lucky in that respect. But um, we did, we still had to work out what, where we wanted to head and what, what we wanted our business to look like. So um, I I think that's where we you know started to really think about the vision you know where where were we headed what were we looking for so where were you headed what was your vision at that time and and how different does that look now yeah well we were really interested in organic beef production so I guess that's what led us down that pathway and I guess that passion that was something we we were passionate about it wasn't just oh yes maybe we could make more money it was you know we we were passionate about the concept of organic so um, we sort of focused on how we were going to build ourselves um, to that point and look for the right property um, to do that and and which we eventually found and we've since bought another property that's um, in conversion to organics as well but I mean we just didn't think about that one market. We, we try to um, have ourselves suited for several markets and so that we've got the flexibility if we need it. Why was organics a priority for you at that time? I think we just like the concept, like we're very passionate about sustainable beef production and organics in some ways, it was like a, a progression about all the things we believed in, you know, good animal welfare, looking after the environment and just providing a really healthy product for consumers to eat and, you know, grass-fed product um, and and that organic just seemed to be like... To, it, for us, it felt like a natural progression to trying to achieve the best product we could. What does your business entail now? You've got, you've got children involved um, and, you know, this is a fair way down the track from what we were just talking about. So can you give us a snapshot of, of what you're operating with? Yeah, so now we've got um, three properties um, in central Queensland. We, they cover about 43,000 acres and we're currently running around 4,500 head, but we can probably go up to about 5,500. Our son and his wife live on one of the properties and the last property we've just bought, we bought in partnership with them so that they can start their journey. Not only are you a beef producer, you are an incredible advocate for the industry on a number of levels and biosecurity has uh, played a big role in um, a lot of a lot of your time in the last few years. So what really, uh, it's, it's, it can be a dry subject, so how did this become <laughs> something that you were so passionate about? We've all got to understand the one thing that can stop our industry is biosecurity threats. So, and I think COVID probably highlighted that for some people and I'm hoping it highlighted it for everyone, but maybe not. But um, there's a lot of things, you know, that we, you know, we, we worry about the markets, we worry about interest rates, we worry about, you know, people that are uh, negative towards us and, and the way that we operate. But if we get a disease incursion, it can literally stop us overnight. So to me, it's our single biggest threat that, and it can damage our industry so much. So I think and it and it just it sort of lies there with some of us not thinking about it too much. So I think if we all are conscious of it, um, we we have biosecurity plans in place, and we're thinking about our threats that are possible and ways that we can mitigate them. We're going to be a lot safer, and and the key will be how fast we can return to trade. So if something does go wrong, how quickly can we get back trading? And we won't be able to do that if we don't think about it and we don't have plans and processes in place to do that. 
And you've done more than think about it. You've been awarded, actually, and recognised for your contribution. Can you just talk to a little bit about how you became involved in that next level and, and really making sure that it is on the forefront of people's minds? Yeah, sure. So I think I, I was just fortunate that someone um, nominated me for the award and, and our business, of course. And um, and that was for the work that we have done on property for biosecurity. And it was also to recognise the work I'd done at an industry level. So um, that was very... it was. It was a lovely award to get and, um, yeah, unexpected, but not a nice thing to happen. When you say the work that you've done on property for biosecurity, what practically, what have you done? What's the work? So we, we've got um, specific biosecurity plans for each of our properties and we have had a number of international and visitors from within Australia as well visit, and which we specifically talk about biosecurity and the um, benefits of it for doing a good job and also the benefits for trading in our domestic you know our global trading partners and things like that so I think that was one of the key things that the people that selected us for the award were quite pleased that we were sharing the message and sharing it globally as well. What has to happen for, for more people to take it more seriously and and really incorporate it into their everyday management? Uh, I think we just have to keep talking about it and reminding people about the importance of it. Unfortunately, if something goes terribly wrong, that will make us all think about it, but let's hope we don't get there. But like I said, I think, you know, being prepared because the chances are something will go wrong at some point and I mean COVID has definitely showed us that but it's being prepared having systems in place and being able to return to trade really quickly that will be what will help save our industry from a possible threat that does come in. What threats do you see when you're thinking about it? Well there's always you know things like foot and mouth disease there's a whole host of other weeds and it's just waiting to happen you know what I mean we're we're vulnerable to some degree because of and I mean this has slowed down with COVID too interestingly enough so some ways COVID's made it a little bit safer because the biggest threat is that movement of people and before COVID you know the the volume of people moving and that's a huge uh, threat to us is people coming in and out of the country even what comes in through our postal systems can be a threat so you mentioned sustainability before it is another one of your very uh, time-consuming passions uh, and you've done a lot of work with the um, beef sustainability framework what first sparked your interest to really uh, come on board and, and get involved with that Yeah, so I think with the Australian Beef Sustainability Framework, I think it's a really important document that we can share with our customers and consumers about how we produce our beef. Um, And, and, you know, we can measure what we're doing, we can show improvements, and that's what our customers are looking for. So, But I didn't just see it as a customer-facing document. Like, we actually in our business think of the things that are in that framework to say well how are we going to remain sustainable like what what are we going to implement in our business plans to um, ensure that we're going to continue to you know for the next generation and and thereafter to have successful businesses and so the framework for us is a little bit for our own business is a little bit like um, you know a tool we can use that helps us achieve those um, sustainability outcomes. And there are the the sustainability uh, surveys that go out and they haven't to date been terrifically accepted by industry. What I realise this is a silver bullet, you know, question, but how do you engage producers to to be more involved with this process and actually be more proactive in, in becoming involved? Well, the exciting thing for the report we've just released um, at Beef Week this um, year is that that survey number had increased 
by an incredible amount. So that was really heartening for us to see that. So, And I think we just need our state farming organisations and our peak industry councils and anyone in industry to keep sharing the importance of producers doing those surveys. And, I mean, I know, like, we're busy and it's time-consuming and you're like, oh, do I have to do it? But this is such important work, data that industry can collect. Um, so I'm hoping that we just, by keeping to continue to spread the word, that more and more people will see the importance of it. I was speaking to Jim Cudmore the other day. He was involved in putting together uh, the original sort of a sustainability framework and the work around that, and um, he said producers by nature are terrible at becoming engaged and he sort of said it'll be 10-15 years before it really kicks in but for someone who's so invested in that process that's a terribly long time to, to be waiting for that. Yeah look and I think that's where we've we've the sustainability framework now has a um, an industry forum so specifically for industry we we um, and there I think is where we can change things and move it along quicker by getting those state farming organizations peak industry councils the important people that have that connection with grassroots producers on board and spreading the word I think we can get that momentum going a lot faster so I'm hoping that that industry forum is one thing that's really going to help the framework. People who haven't really taken the framework on with open arms generally believe that it's the data collection and sharing the data that isn't, uh, isn't terrific. But what do you say to that as, as someone who, who can see the benefits of it? Look, I, you know, to me, uh, we, can't, we, we can't progress without data. Like, I, you know, it's, it's that even in your own business, unless you're measuring and monitoring and recording things, there's, it's very hard to see how you're going to make improvements in your business and the industry is no different I think we need we need that information to to have a pathway forward for improvement um, to see practice change on the ground with producers and um, you know in our animal welfare our land management whatever it is we're looking at I think without that valuable data it's going to be very hard to to have a point to aim to you know somewhere that where where we can all head towards when you're benchmarking through the framework, is it the same data points that you need or is it, you know, uh, people measure things differently? Does, that, does the framework encompass all of that and include, you know, the variable types of data sets that businesses have? Yeah, I think that's the, difficult with, the difficulty with the uh, ABSF and trying to collect data. We have to collect data at a national level. So there, there are a number of indicators that we work on where we can get really good specific data in regions and states and, um, you know, with, even with businesses, like some of the corporates have some incredible data, but we can't actually report that on as a national piece of data collection for the ABSF. But what we do, and I think it's really important, is we often use those things as a case study within the report. So... Then our customers and consumers, they can see, well, there's actually things happening. We can't collect the data nationally, but boy, look at these great stories. Look at this work that's being done. So I guess um, that's one of our challenging things at the moment. And I think industry recognises that and they're very um, excited about trying to help policy with governments to improve that ability to collect national data. As uh, You're also involved with some local grazing groups and and that sort of peer-to-peer learning how do you see that fitting in with like most of the things we've been talking about whether it be sustainability or what's happening in the back paddock and and you know sharing ideas just on a local level yeah look I think it's really important and I just 
I personally love peer-to-peer learning. Like that's how I learn best, going and checking out what my neighbour's doing or, you know, someone down the road or whatever. And, I, you know, I just love listening because there's so many clever people out there and they're doing amazing things. So, you know, I'm always keen to go and listen and have a look over the fence and check out what they're doing because I just think everyone does an amazing job. So, I um, We were just talking before we, we started recording about the highlights of Beef 21 and you, didn't, you couldn't really specifically say too much because, <laughs> because there's so much here. But, you know, you've been here for a, a few days. What is standing out for you as an invested member of the, of the beef community? I think, actually, I had to say that, you know, the most exciting thing that's happened at BEEF is the launch of our Australian Beef Sustainability Framework report. Very exciting for us and very exciting for industry. But I noticed this morning I went to the Rural Press Club breakfast and Prue and um, David Bonfield were telling their story. And Prue um, made mention of the framework and the importance of what we do with that um, information in her um, presentation this morning. And that... And, you know, I've, I've seen bits and pieces of that throughout the whole Beef Week, different seminars and different things. Sustainability and the importance of it is really starting to um, come to the fore and I think that's really exciting. And it's not even 10 or 15 years yet, so no. that's great, Melanie. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we're going to get there, yeah. What else? There's got to be a few other things that, uh, that you've noticed throughout this week. A lot of positivity about the industry. I think everyone's super excited about the price of cattle at the moment, the low interest rates. I mean, you know, the stars have aligned, thank goodness, for the industry. And um, uh, when I talk to processors and, you know, they're feeling the pain and, that, and that's not good because we all need to be um, doing really well. But I did mention I think we need to share the love occasionally. So, Melanie Leather, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Beef Australia is proudly supported by our principal partners. Thanks to the Australian Government Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment, the Queensland Government, Meat and Livestock Australia and the Rockhampton Regional Council. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.